0: Writing a book can be one of the smartest moves for your business success, but you need more than writing skills to create an impressive book that readers will love. You'll also need a plan to market, sell, and leverage your book into a new level of leadership within your industry to reach your professional goals.
1: Let's take real estate as an example. If you were to buy a property, the outcome that you actually want to sell with your book and for that reader isn't that they now are a property owner. It's the thing that happens after they're a property owner. And that's the really important thing because a lot of people will write a book that's general or disjointed or hard to market. And it's because they don't have a clear sense of who they're talking to and why that person needs them.
0: That's Julie Broad, a best-selling author, entrepreneur, and in a previous life, a real estate investor and trainer. In our conversation, she shares that writing a successful nonfiction book starts long before you write the first chapter. To write a book that boosts your brand, generates a profit, and makes you an influencer in your industry, you need the No Boring Books way. But once you get to that point, then you can self-publish that book and really start to make a difference in your industry.
1: Nobody cared that it was self-published. All they cared was that it was gonna help them and that you know it was a good read.
0: welcome to the personally brandtastic podcast where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily want to work with you and can't wait to refer you if you're looking for the rei branded podcast you are actually in the right place we recently renamed it but the content is the same helping you to build your brand and business reach more people and stand out from the competition my name is paul copkin and every day i work with real estate investors professionals and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Julie, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I kind of want to kick off and ask you, you know, with the advent of, of things like podcasts, YouTube channels, does it really still make sense to write a book?
1: Oh, yeah, good Good <laughs> question. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, if you look at the news, just as taking that as an example, when they put an expert on there, they don't usually go podcaster or even blogger. They will say author or they'll put your degree credentials. So a book is in the eyes of the society is kind of the same as having a degree as far as credentials go. So I think depending on your goals, I think it does make sense to have a book. And as far as like pouring your expertise into a podcast, it becomes disjointed, right? Like, you know, I look at my YouTube channel as an example, pretty much everything that's in my latest book and it will be in my next book is going to be on the YouTube channel, but it's not organized in a consumable fashion that will actually take you from start to finish. So I think there's always a market for books. And interestingly enough, just a side note, people are actually reading more than they used to, or at least they're buying more books than they used to. So, <laughs> ah,
0: Why do you think that is?
1: I think COVID helped. I think the last two years, you know, that really did help people slow down a bit. They were at home more had opened it but i do think a lot of people see the value in books you know it's a cheap education you get you know somebody's life experience you know for under 20 bucks i think a lot of people do see value in that and then the entertainment factor because fiction books are selling too so
0: i would guess as well with with the advent of things like kindle it's that much easier now i mean i i mean i still like the kinesthetic feel of a book To be honest, but you know, sometimes I think, well, I, you know, do I need the physical book? Oh, I could probably kindle it. And obviously the the other great thing with things like Kindle is you can highlight and you know there's apps that save it and you get an email or you know the next day and it reminds you or whatever you want to do with it. So that's probably helped as well, I'm thinking.
1: yeah, and audiobooks, a lot of people who traditionally didn't read because they were too busy or it just wasn't their thing to sit down and read, they're consuming audiobooks. and it's been really interesting the last couple of years at a company book launchers. Because our authors, where it used to be kind of a 30-70 split. So 30% was ebook and 70% was physical book, as more and more of them have done audio books. And especially if they're a speaker or a podcaster, in certain genres, if they have a younger audience in particular, we're seeing 50% of their overall sales in audio. So it's been really interesting in the last couple of years transition. And, and I've even seen it like anecdotally at a business meeting, I or like an entrepreneur's kind of group that I was a part of and a book was mentioned, everybody whips out Audible on their phone and they're like, what book was it? And they want to download it. And somebody, you know, and they're like, oh, there's no audio book. And then they put their phone away, like no sale, oh. like no audio book, no sale. So that's anecdotal, but still, you know, they're busy entrepreneurs that will listen, but they won't read. So I think audio's helped a lot too. Right.
0: And listening as well, you can be doing something else.
1: Exactly. Na- nowadays. Driving, yeah, yeah. Driving in particular is what a lot of people say, but, you know, cleaning the house, you
0: know, doing other things. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna show my age now, but I mean previously you'd have a cassette, but then you'd have to be in the room where the cassette is to listen. So or, or the car or whatever. But yeah. yeah, definitely. So what about nonfiction books, which is what book launchers focuses yeah. on? If somebody's thinking about writing a book or publishing something like a non-fiction, what are the kind of things that they need to think about first? What's important?
1: Most important thing is the reader. So who is that reader? What are they going to get from your story, from your expertise? And I often, I've been saying to people, it's the outcome, it's not the first outcome, right? So let's take real estate as an example. If you were to buy a property, the outcome that you actually want to sell with your book and for that reader isn't that they now are a property owner. It's the thing that happens after they're a property owner. So, and that's where knowing your reader really matters because for some people, that property is their retirement plan, right? For other people, that property is their income source or it's supplementing, or it's gonna help pay for their kid's university or it's their backup plan. But you don't know what the outcome of the outcome is if you don't know your reader really well. And that's the really important thing because a lot of people will write a book that's general or disjointed or hard to market. And it's because they don't have a clear sense of who they're talking to and why that person needs them. If you're famous, you can get away with a more general topic because people are curious about you and they're interested in your advice. But most of us don't have that celebrity factor. So we have to dig a little deeper and and knowing that reader and that outcome of the outcome is vital before you start.
0: And does that help overcome some of the fear I'm thinking in some people is, I don't have that interesting a story. I don't have anything to say that's going to be worthy of somebody reading it.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where a lot, I call it the monsters, right? Our monsters come out as soon as we focus on ourselves. So if we start to think, oh, I want to be a bestseller. Oh, I want to be a paid speaker. I want, you know, you start thinking about all the things that you want, then your monsters come out and they're like, oh, you're not good enough. You know, oh, you know, this is going to happen. This will be bad. People are going to judge you. But if you focus on that reader and how you can help them, then I think the monsters are still there. Like I kind of joke that I'm, I have this fear of judgment and I just give my monster a sandwich and say, look, I'm doing it anyways. So let's just, you know, (laughs) put it in your mouth, eat it and off we go. (laughs) So I've just kind of made friends with my monster and, and, you know, he's always there in the back seat, but I try to keep his mouth full. So.
0: (laughs) And do you find there's a particular format that works better than others? Or is it, is it something that's, you know, practical step-by-step? You see some books where there's do this exercise at the end of each chapter? Or is it more of a story? Or does it not really matter? Does it go back again to what's going to be the outcome for the, the reader?
1: A lot of it goes back to that reader. was really making sure that what you're doing is what the reader needs and is going to connect with them. I really advocate for sharing stories, though, because I think nonfiction books should be something people want to keep reading, not feel like they have to read. So I find story, you know, story stands the test of time too, right? Like that's how our history has been passed down over the years. And, And so I think you really want to incorporate story because that will help your reader connect to you. It builds trust and it helps them remember your lessons and what you're teaching. But there isn't one format. And this is one thing I tell people all the time, like there is no one way to do a book and there's standard things that typically work. But for everything that I can tell you that is a standard thing that typically works, I can also point to exceptions that completely went the opposite way and were still very successful. So I think it really is, you know, finding your own voice and finding what you think is going to help and connect with that
0: reader. If somebody's think, again, thinking about writing that book, what's the kind of commitment that they're going to have to put in to get something at the end in, in a reasonable amount of time. And you probably speak to how long it takes as well to get a book out there.
1: This is a tricky one because there's a couple of things here. One is that it depends on the quality that you're going for, because a lot of people have the capability of writing a book in a weekend. But, you know, if you're going for, I want to write a great book, <laughs> um, you know, it's going to take more planning. It's going to take more time and effort and energy to put into it. Most of our clients, they're working with a writing coach or a writer to assist them. And it's going to take somewhere between three to 12 months to get that book out. You know, the people who are are comfortable with their material, because the hardest part of writing a book is the thinking involved in how to present your stories, how to present your advice. So people who have already been doing a lot of public speaking, their trainers, their workshop, you know, they run workshops, they've already thought through how to explain things and how to present things, they can usually write the book or talk it out pretty fast. But somebody who is kind of thought about this a lot, but they haven't verbalized it or written about it before, it's going to take a little bit more to get it into like a standard that is, is excellent.
0: And that kind of leads to a question around editing. What kind of editors should you look for, or you know, how important is it? Is the editing element? I'm guessing you're going to say extremely important, but
1: yeah, I mean everything we do is at the level of traditionally published books as far as quality goes. So every one of our books has a minimum of 3 different kinds of editors. And one thing I always caution people is to make sure that you're hiring them in the right order because a lot of people just go, "Okay, I need an editor," and you know, well-meaning, and they go and they hire an editor, but usually what they end up getting is a copy editor. A copy editor is somebody who goes set and structure, word choice, you know, it's line by line editing but it doesn't actually make your book it makes it grammatically correct but it doesn't actually make it a great read you want to start with what's called a developmental or a content edit and that's the 30,000 foot view look at your book you know does it have good structure does it have do you have credibility in this book you know is it clear who this reader's for do you stick to the same hook throughout the whole book or have you deviated and so that's that first edit and that's a more painful edit. Honestly, uh, a lot of people, you know, they think their book is done. They've, you know, labored over getting it out of their head and then they turn it over to a developmental editor and they realize there's still a lot of writing work that needs to be done. A lot of things got cut. And so that, but that's the edit that makes your book really, really good. And then copy editors. And then finally a proofreader are the ones that make it grammatically correct and then consistent.
0: And you mentioned hook. Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, the hook is the outcome of the outcome. So, the hook is a through line. You know, if you think of movies or fiction, it's the through line, it's the storyline. For nonfiction, I, I call the hook the outcome of the outcome. Because at the end of this book, even if it's a memoir, even if you're telling your story, there is an outcome of the outcome for that reader. And that's what we're going to sell. And so, we want to make sure we've got that to begin with and that everything in the book ties back to that hook. So you may have some really great stories, but they don't actually help deliver that hook. So you got to save them for another book. And that's one of the reasons why the hook is so important because it makes it clear what you need to share and what you don't need to share.
0: Right. I noticed that uh, Book Launchers uses the hashtag no boring (laughs) books. And you've mentioned stories. So I'm thinking that's probably one of the things. What else makes a nonfiction book interesting versus boring?
1: Yeah. Focusing on the reader. And so one of the kind of tests that I use is I open up a book and I see how many chapters start with the word I, how many paragraphs start with the word I, and some stories are definitely, you're definitely going to use the word I. It's not like I'm saying that's a bad word, but if you find that you're starting most of your chapters off with, you know, I was thinking this would happen, or I saw this coming and I, this, that's a very you focused book. And the reader really doesn't care about you. Uh, you know sorry to say the reader really does not care about you at all you know maybe like i said if you're a celebrity they might but you know most of us aren't they care about themselves and so you want to reword most of those sentences to be something that's going to engage and hook that reader so that it's more you know they can either picture themselves in this scenario or they're they're curious about what else you're going to say so that's kind of what there's lots i could go but that's one of my favorites
0: <laughs> what's the difference between self publishing and traditional publishing. You mentioned traditional publishing. You do everything that a traditional publisher does.
1: Yeah. So traditional publishing is kind of what most people think of. You you write a book proposal. You get an agent. The agent shops you around. And then if if a publisher deems you worthy, they'll give you a contract. And you may or may not want to sign that contract. That contract usually um, gives that publisher all rights. So international audio, ebook, print book. Um, it gives them, they keep a lot of the royalties. So you'll typically make like 80 cents to a dollar per book sold and they also have control. So now they're going to, they're going to adjust where you're going with this, but at the end of the day, you get much better distribution and because as a self-published author, physical distribution is tricky online. You can be everywhere that a traditionally published book is sold, but traditional publishing is like what it used, how most people had to go for the most part in the past self-publishing now, you are the CEO of your book. You keep all rights, you keep all royalties. And for a lot of us, the most important thing is that you get to keep control. So you make the final decision on on those books, but you do have some challenges, right? You have to upfront the costs. um, You have to make the investment in your your book. And of course, distribution, you can get that online distribution, but that physical, if you want bookstores, you like to be physically on the shelf, it takes extra. It takes some pretty heavy lifting to get there, but that's It's interesting because these days I feel like there's not very many traditional book deals worth signing because self-publishing is so advantageous for most people.
0: Can you get self-published books onto things like the New York Times bestseller list? Is that feasible?
1: The New York Times bestselling list is an editorial list, so it's completely curated. Um, So even if you sold the most number of books, if you aren't Deemed worthy, you won't make that list. And they rarely even put small published, like even if you're with a traditional publisher, but you're not with one of the big five, they often will not deem you worthy. If you don't lean the right way politically, they will deem you not worthy. So that list is not, not really achievable for self published authors, but even a lot of other authors, it's not achievable. Um, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, um, those ones are more, more accurately bestseller, but they're still not 100%. Like if you sell books bulk, You might sell 50,000 books, but it's not going to show up on a list because you've sold them to corporations and groups and associations. So there isn't a perfect bestseller list, honestly. Um, But for self-published authors, all the other lists are potentially viable.
0: But realistically, what are most self-publishing people expecting from their book? And, And I guess that depends on what are their intentions for the book or the goals of the book. But what would be realistic book sales?
1: Yeah, it really varies. If you've got an audience already, uh, you can realistically expect a percentage of that audience to be buying your book if the book aligns with that audience. But other people, you know, a lot of our authors, they're kind of writing the book to move into a space. So the book is the tool that's going to grow that audience. You know, you're not, you probably aren't going to expect to sell more than 500 to 1,000 books in a year, um, you know, at least if you don't have an audience in that space already. If you have an audience, uh, you know, like, it's hard because I want to tell you names and books, but uh, we don't share those things because right. we don't own the books. But one of our authors, she—it's it, she was putting out. I think it's her sixth book um, this year, and you know she sold two thousand in the first month. You know, but she's built an audience, and it's not her first book. And you know, she's but it also lifted her backlist too. So that book launching, she sold a whole bunch of that book, and then other ones. So everybody is different, and sometimes it's the topic too. Um, like we have one book that's done really well. Uh, it's on making money in in the hemp industry and it's done really well, I think because it's a niche a niche topic. Mm-hmm. and there wasn't a lot of books out on that in the space when when his book came out. so, There's no perfect answer, unfortunately, because everybody's different and every topic's different.
0: I'm sure if somebody wrote a book on the cryptocurrency about 24 months ago, they probably sold a lot of copies. Maybe not. Maybe not so much now. Yeah.
1: NFTs now, there's some really cool angles on NFTs that will sell really well at the moment. But, you know, those are things where if you want to write to market, like if all you care about is book sales, you want to look at what the trends are going to be in six months to 12 months and figure out, you know, who hasn't, you know, where, where are the gaps in the market? But that's a hard way to
0: role. (laughs) What are most of your clients writing a book for? What's what are the reasons?
1: We focus on people who are writing the book to use the book as a tool. So our clients are typically either already speakers and this will elevate their income and open more opportunities up to them um, or they want to get into speaking or they're in the real estate space actually probably just because my background in real estate, we have a lot of real estate and finance authors who are writing it for credibility to raise capital, you know, to expand their network to get media attention, which is just really to get more credibility, to raise more capital or their coaches. And they want to use the book as a way to generate more leads into their coaching business. So it's all for business purpose. For the most part, we do have a few authors who write for legacy though. They write because they want to make sure that there's something left behind for their family. um, or they write because they've just gone through a lot. And if they can help one other person uh, kind of avoid some of the pitfalls that they hit, then that makes this book
0: worth it. Right. And is there an optimal length of book?
1: No, uh, it's it's kind of the same answer. It's it's like there's standards. Um, so typically, a business book will be you know fifty thousand to sixty five thousand these days words. That is, um, that translates to about two hundred and ten pages to like two hundred and sixty pages. But I would say I always tell people don't make it make it the length it needs to be. To get the result for the author, so if you can do that in thirty thousand words, do it. Um, you don't need to make a big book in order to use that book as a tool. And conversely, I also say if it has to be eighty thousand or ninety thousand words, okay. But um, you know, some of our authors, we have one right now whose book ended up being one hundred sixty thousand words. So now we're working on maybe making it three ball three books into a series. <laughs>
0: wow! I recently earlier this year read ray dalio's new book yeah and it was the first time i've come across a book you could read three ways which is really fascinating so so one was the you you read the full length word for word the second one was the bolded paragraphs with the key points that he wanted to get across and then the other one was just this bright red sentences and you could get the gist of the book whichever way it, he just kind of catered to different readers. But, and I'm sure that's a huge editing job to get something like that. But Are you a real estate investor or related business professional or owner looking to build your personal brand and business and stand out from the crowd? The first step is to understand where you stand right now. You can do that with the business optimizer assessment. It's something that we've created that's already helped real estate investors and other business owners to define and develop their personal brands and grow their revenues take the free assessment and complimentary report and follow-up strategy call by going to paulcopcut.com forward slash B-O-A. That's paulcopcut C-O-P-C-U-T-T dot com forward slash B-O-A. What happens when somebody can't finish a book? You know, when they're struggling, are there any kind of tips, tools, tricks, hacks that help people?
1: Yeah, it depends on why they're struggling. You know, some people... You know, we have two ways of helping people. One is with a coach and one is with a writer. Some people aren't struggling because they don't have enough content. They're just struggling because sitting down and typing is just not their thing. Or they're just it's just really hard to form the words, but they can talk all day long. So they're a great candidate to just get a writer and have somebody else help them with that. And you know, if somebody asks them questions, they can spew out the content and then somebody else can kind of formulate that into a book. Um, That can work really well for those people. If somebody's stuck because they don't have the content, we often have to go back to, okay, who's the reader? What's the outcome of the outcome? And, you know, what's missing? So is there research that's missing? Is there, you know, do we need to interview people? Or maybe this person, we've had it happen a couple of times where they just don't have enough expertise or experience yet. So then it's like okay, do you want to interview experts to fill that in? Do you want to just wait until you get more expertise? It really depends on the person for those situations. And then some people just don't have clarity. You know, and that's again where we got to go back and look at, you know, who's the audience? Why are you writing the book? And what's the outcome of the outcome? And if if you have clarity and you've got some experience and expertise, you're probably you know, it might be the monsters again. So go back to who's the reader? How are you going to help them? And, you know, try to give that monster a sandwich.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Back to the monster sandwich. That's right. So if you were to give, you know, like an initial couple of the next step to take or the first couple of steps to take, what would you recommend to somebody? I can't remember who said it, but everybody has a book inside them somewhere. Somebody quoted. What's your advice to somebody that's first thinking about, okay, I think I'm going to write a book what should be the next two, three things that they do?
1: It comes down to that reader. Again, You know, it's vitally important because there's so many people who write a book thinking it's for everyone and your book will not sell if you try to write a book for everyone. So really honing who that reader is, where they're hanging out, like think about how you're going to find them to sell that book before you start writing. The outcome is next. And then your own goal, because you want to make sure that the book you write is going to position you to achieve whatever it is goal that you want. And I'll give you an example of one that, that was the opposite of, I think, aligned. And it was somebody who came to me whose book was essentially about estrangement. So, um, you know, learning the details, but her family was completely estranged from her. And she wanted to write that book, but she wanted to be a paid speaker, like a keynote speaker. And there's a challenge because you look at who pays people to speak. It's corporations for the most part. There's some associations, some groups, but there's probably not a huge market for keynote speakers that are talking about estrangement. And so that is not alignment, right? She can help a reader. That's great. Like there's certainly people who would get value from her audience or from her you know, story and from the outcome that she wanted to share, but that's not going to lead her to where she wants to go. So it's looking at that whole big picture and lining up all those pieces before you start writing the book. Those are, I think, the most important steps.
0: And I noticed on, on your website as well, you have a, a division that turns the book into an online program. So mm-hmm. is that something that's quite common now where you, you know, the book is kind of the initial content and then you can have potential spin-off revenue or different things happening from the book?
1: To do a book well, you're putting, like I said, a lot of thinking into how to present the concepts, how to present the ideas and then you have this phenomenal content that you really should repurpose for a lot of different things. A book is intended to be consumed. In an ideal world people are getting, you know, an outcome from it, but a course is designed, same content but it's designed and delivered in a way that has you taking action so that you're actually getting the results that you want. So it's the same content. It's kind of, you know, a lot of speakers will take content from the book, turn it into a talk, Um, you know, and then you can repurpose it into social media content and sell articles. And like, it's, it's incredibly valuable to do that work and repurpose it. But a course is just one of those for most nonfiction books, memoirs are a little harder. Um, We've turned a couple memoir or at least one memoir into a, a, into a course, but it's a little harder, but most, you know, business how-to, you know, sales books and real estate books, they make really, really great online courses and and readers will buy the book and then consume and then still buy the course because now they want that extra like, OK, that book was awesome. I want to implement it. How do I implement it? And the course will give you just those extra steps to take action. Right.
0: What are your thoughts on these books where you jo- you write just one chapter? You know, the oh. kind of thing, the, co- the compilation ones. <laughs> I, I have my own I have my own views on it. but
1: <laughs> Yeah. So. I mean, they make a lot of money for the author that is the one selling the chapter. Right. <laughs> um, so, there, I mean, there's lots of there's lots of challenges with this, and we've seen we've we've actually done a few books that have done decently well. I can't say that the people featured in the books or that have written one chapter have had much of an outcome, but I know that one of them was more of an interview book, and it did really really well from from that perspective. But I feel like. If you're doing that, if you're paying to be a part of a chapter, that you're not, probably not getting the benefits that you think you're going to get because your name won't be on the cover. Or if it is, it's only for your copy because they can't put 20 smart. names. Right. Yeah, they can't put 20 names on there. So it's, it's only going to be your copy. And ultimately, you won't be doing a lot of the publicity that would go with being an author of a book. The person compiling it probably is doing that publicity, opening the doors, getting the benefits, getting the leads. So yeah, it, I, I know some people who swear it was like a really great thing that they did, but I'm not convinced. <laughs>
0: right. Right. Me neither, I agree. And, and what about the public publicity marketing side of things? So once the book is is done, that's probably where the work continue, well, continues or now you've really got to work at getting it out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people call books like, oh, it's my book baby. And I'm like, yes, it is your book baby. And just like a baby, once it's born, you have to care for it forever or it's going to die. So, <laughs> so it's, it, is, it is a lot like that. A lot of people think, oh, the book, I'm going to put it on Amazon and it's going to do great. But you really do have to work hard to get that book out there, to keep momentum, to actually have it do the things that you want it to do. It's very rare. Um, Like that hemp book that I mentioned, that's one exception where the author has not, you know, he's very busy. He hasn't had a lot of time to dedicate to it, and the book's done well, anyways. (laughs) Um, But that is not, again, it's like an exception to the rule. Most people need to be on podcasts, doing live appearances, you know, getting media, running Amazon ads, doing ebook sales, you know, always asking for reviews in order to get the book out there. And a lot of our clients see really cool results a year after. So it's not book comes out and great things happen. It's like, you know, one of our authors just yesterday, actually, she was featured on the cover of a magazine. Her book came out 20 months ago. So she's now like, she's like, this is really cool. This never would have happened without my book, but she's had to keep marketing. Another one got a Ted global ideas talk and his talk has been viewed more than 2 million times that happened a little bit over a year after his book came out. So you got to keep at it because the real benefits and the real cool opportunities, they don't come like, oh, my book's out. Great things are going (laughs) to happen. Doesn't work that way very often.
0: And that kind of goes back to your first question we talked about right at the beginning is sitting on the couch, you know, you're the author of, but that's probably because that author has put in the time, the talks, the publicity, the marketing, and all those things that they're finally sitting on the sofa of the morning show or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, exactly. Unless you hit, unless you hit a topic, like we did have one book, it was a true crime story and his book came out at the same time as the trial relevant to that topic. He started saying no to like, good morning. I don't even remember which one, but like we had him on 2020 and a couple of the other major shows and he started saying no to shows he was like no this is I had no intention of this being so big but that again that's like luck right you can't the timing of it was just so amazing that the trial happened to be happening at the same time as as his book came out so
0: you mentioned real estate that's what you were doing real Mm -hmm. estate what got you into books what got you into self-publishing and helping other people get their books out
1: yeah, I was, I had a real estate training and education company in Canada and I had the YouTube channel, newsletters, all, all the fun stuff. And I, some of my friends were getting book deals with Wiley and I got introduced to the editor at the time. And they were like, I said, oh, great. I got a book idea. And they said, no, no, like that book, that book idea doesn't sound good. But they gave me a book idea and we built this proposal together. And, and then three months later, they told me that I didn't have a strong enough marketing platform to sell books. <laughs> so they rejected me after giving me an idea and building a proposal with me. But it was the greatest thing that ever happened because I eventually went back to that original book idea that I had and i self published it but i wanted to make sure that nobody ever picked up my book and went ooh you self published so i did it at the level of quality of a traditionally published book and i i ended up taking that book to number 1 on amazon in canada so i had a dan brown i had a game mm-hmm. of thrones you know, wow that in the top 100 print books in on uh-huh. amazon in canada for 45 days so that opened my eyes to the opportunity the the power of self publishing i mean i made so much more money than if i had gotten a book deal like like 10 times what i would have made i would have made less than $10,000 in that first year um had i got a book deal and i made i think 86,000 or something wow. in royalty sales just in that first year so yeah so a big difference and it really nobody cared that it was self published all they cared was that it was going to help them and that you know it was a good read and, and that was kind of the, the beginnings. It wasn't an immediate, now I'm going to launch book launchers, but um, it opened the door.
0: Right. I have I have uh, some questions I like to ask guests. I normally ask favorite personal brand, but I have to ask, what's your favorite business book first? Because that, that would seem just a logical question to ask you. So
1: if that's a tough question because there's so many and I've read so many. <laughs> um, but I, the, one of the ones I go back to all the time is Stephen Pressfield's The War of Art. And it's not necessarily a business book, but I think everybody faces resistance when their goals come up. And it's a powerful, quick read for anybody that, you know, has monsters. Cause it talks, you know, he calls them resistance. I call them monsters. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. That's a great book. I haven't uh, picked up his, his latest one, the term pro one yet, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a good, it is a good pickup kind of remind yourself sometimes when you're struggling just to, yeah. to pick it up and say, okay, you just got to work through it and fight the resistance. As you say, what about a favorite personal brand?
1: Um, this is a hard one, but I, the only one I really kind of follow as a personal brand is Sarah Blakely, <laughs> the founder of Spanx. I love her personality, you know, to think she's a billionaire and she still loses her iPod, leaves things, she crashes her van and <laughs> she shares all that stuff. <laughs> it, it makes me feel like, you know, anything's possible. If she, if she can create this billion dollar brand, um, you know, I think it's, it's great to see her in action. <laughs> right.
0: Yeah, she's a great uh, entrepreneurial inspiration as well. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. And, and do you have a a tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment?
1: This is a tough one. This is when we talked before. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Yeah, this is hard. I'm not a tool person, but I I got a funny one. I I've gotten into cold plunging, so it's helped oh, with yeah. reducing stress, and, you know, body inflammation. I'm sleeping better. So I recently bought a plunge pool because I'm in Las Vegas and it's way too hot in the summer to have like a bucket with ice in it um when i was in canada it was fine in the winter just freeze over crack the ice get in but it is it is the craziest thing i think i've ever done and yet i feel the best i've ever felt and i think the cold punch is is huge
0: yeah who's the guy that wrote the book swede it's a scandinavian name wolf
1: oh wim wim hof Hof? yes wim hof yes
0: that's it yeah I know a lot of people that do cold showers, but I don't know many people that do cold plunges. So good, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a favorite quote?
1: Uh, the missing piece is always action, and that's actually my own quote. But it's like what I I have it in my head all the time. If I feel stuck, I'm like, missing piece is always action. Just take action.
0: So missing piece is always action. I love that. That's quite wonderful. How can people find out more about you and more about book launches?
1: Yep. The best thing is to head to booklaunchers.com. And if you are interested in writing a book, kind of the steps to start, um, go to booklaunchers.com forward slash seven, the number seven steps. And that will get you a download that will walk you through kind of the first, the first seven steps, uh, but the things that we talked about today.
0: Wonderful. Well, Julie, it's been fascinating. Thank you for kind of opening our eyes a little bit in, into the world of, of publishing and, and the value in having a, a nonfiction book. And uh, have yourself a fantastic day.
1: Thanks, you too.